On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well-functioning family. Boundaries are blurred and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm Amanda. And I'm Pam. And today we're heading to a quiet town in Canada called Medicine Hat. The year is 2006. We're all friends with Tom on MySpace. Teenagers are wearing chunky studded belts. And Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams wins record of the year. Good album. So Medicine Hat is located in Alberta in South Saskatchewan River Valley, where Mark and Deborah Richardson were raising their children, eight-year-old Tyler and 12-year-old Jasmine. The Richardsons were a quote-unquote normal middle-class family, as we've encountered multiple times in our episodes. They worked and went to church, socialized with their friends, and spent time together. A very typical two-kids-both-parents-present kind of a family. On the afternoon of Sunday, April 23rd, a neighbor boy who liked to play with Tyler noticed the Richardson car was in the driveway. Deciding they must be home from church, he went to ask Tyler to come out to play. When he knocked, there was no answer. An evidently nosy child, he went around to the basement window and peered inside. There, the young boy witnessed a horrifying sight. Two bloodied bodies sprawled across the floor. He rushed home to his mom to tell her what he'd discovered. The boy had been known to tell a tall tale before, but this was pretty grim, so she went to investigate for herself. Verifying that what her son said was true, the woman immediately called the police. Obviously, we'll be focusing on the tragedy of the Richardsons, but can you imagine hearing from your 60-year-old son that your neighbors are dead and seeing blood spatter that filled the room? I wish we could unsee things, but hopefully intense therapy has helped this family. This kind of tragedy damages whole communities for years to come. And when police arrived on the scene, not only did they find that the bodies in the basement belonged to Mark and Deborah, but they made the horrifying discovery of Tyler's little body in his bedroom. The adults had been stabbed to death, with eight-year-old Tyler suffering a fatal slice to the throat. As they began processing the scene, investigators noticed family portraits throughout the house. The smiling faces of Mark, Deborah, and Tyler looked back at them, along with that of a preteen girl. So where was she in all of this carnage? The police feared that Jasmine had been abducted by her family's murderer. Issuing an Amber Alert, they kicked into high gear looking for Jasmine. As they looked for any leads as to where she could be, officers searched Jasmine's locker at school. Inside, they found a violent cartoon she'd drawn depicting two figures setting her family on fire and laughing as they burnt to death. Investigators came to the realization that Jasmine hadn't been kidnapped, 
but instead was suspect number one behind the murders of her family. But who was the other figure in the picture? Once the police named 12-year-old Jasmine as a suspect, under Canadian law, the media could no longer refer to her by her name. Instead, she could only be called J.R. Jasmine was an outgoing honor student, or at least she had been until shortly before the murders. The friendly, sweet girl began changing into a sullen, withdrawn version of herself her family didn't recognize late the year before. Jasmine became interested in the goth scene at her Catholic school, listening to metal music and wearing all black, including fishnets and heavy makeup. Her friends began to withdraw from her as well, with some classmates becoming scared of her changing personality. Her teachers expressed concern to Mark and Deborah, and while they took those concerns seriously, they also believed that a lot of her behavior could be chalked up to being a typical teenager. Of course. Kids her age start pushing the boundaries to see what they can get away with. Some like to say and do outrageous things with no real intention to hurt anyone, which is usually just attention-seeking. And I must say, she looked more blossomed than any 12-year-old I've ever seen. She presented herself as maybe 16 to 19, and she was naturally gorgeous. Yeah, I looked at her picture, and I was very surprised to see that she was 12. She definitely looked at least 16, 17 to me. Right. And how often have we heard that if you as a parent try to really bring the hammer down, you'll just drive the kid deeper into the behavior you hate? So the Richardsons tried to balance discipline with letting Jasmine retain some freedom. In January of 2006, Jasmine was allowed to go to a nearby punk rock show. There, she met 23-year-old Jeremy Steinke, a high school dropout with a drinking problem and an abusive family life. Not only that, but Jeremy believed that he was a 300-year-old werewolf, as do all of us, obviously. He wore a vial of blood around his neck in case he got a craving, he said. Gross. Yeah. I would say this is the most red flag thing we've discussed this season. I think I think so. Yeah, we've had some pretty serious red flags. This one's waving really high. Yeah. And now Jeremy had developed a new craving, which was 12-year-old Jasmine Richardson. Let's take a brief break, and when we get back, we'll delve into the world of VampireFreaks.com and join the manhunt for Jasmine and Jeremy. <laughs> Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. 
Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence. Now back to the show. So 12-year-old Jasmine and 23-year-old Jeremy are on the run after the murder of Jasmine's whole family. How did it come to this? Jeremy, our 300-year-old werewolf friend, was somehow able to impress Jasmine almost immediately, earning her trust and gaining her attention. They started to talk on social media platforms like MySpace and VampireFreaks.com, exchanging thousands of messages over just a few months. Vampire Freaks launched in 1999 as a space for people who liked goth, emo, and industrial music to be able to hang out online. It later added a clothing store element, and in 2020, the website shut down its social media feature entirely. But back in 2006, goth folks like Jeremy, who called himself Soul Eater Online, and Jasmine, who went by Runaway Devil, could chat there. Some of the research I did said that the two fell madly in love, but I don't accept this. She was a child, and he was an adult. That is not love. It's grooming, and these social media sites are where Jeremy groomed Jasmine. Some of the signs of grooming include an adult that wants to exclusively spend time alone with a child, especially in places that aren't easily monitored. Chat rooms in the mid-2000s were definitely a great place for that. Amanda, were you ever on VampireFreaks.com? I was not. I was in chat rooms as a teenager. That was the prime time was the mid-2000s, but I can't say I was on VampireFreaks.com. Hmm. I've got mixed feelings about that. Yeah, well. Well. Moving on. Bygones. Yeah. So other signs of grooming are an adult that believes the rules don't apply to them, underage drinking and drug use, a child that's suddenly being secretive of their time and actions, and an adult trying to isolate the child away from other adults. There are many more signs, but these specifically apply to the relationship between Jasmine and Jeremy. They exchanged thousands of messages in the short time they knew each other. One of these messages caught the attention of Jasmine's parents, and they subsequently forbade Jasmine from seeing Jeremy anymore. The message from Jeremy read, quote, You are a sight for sore eyes, and I miss you more than killing people. Can we get together and kill people together? Unquote. Again, sometimes people like to be edgy and just say some disturbing things. But this message was just one element of an escalating pattern. Jasmine talked frequently to her friends about killing her parents, but they didn't take her seriously. To be fair, it's hard to take a 12-year-old seriously over something like that, especially if you yourself are also 12 years old. But still, it's better to be safe than sorry, which I think we've all learned through years of listening to true crime. If you see something, say something. When Jeremy learned the Richardsons wouldn't let Jasmine be with him anymore, he wrote a blog post that said, quote, My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume. 
Their throats I want to slit. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. Unquote. Damn, that's pure evil. Yeah, and it appears the two were on the same page because a few days later, Jasmine sent Jeremy an email that read, quote, I have a plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you, unquote. Which brings us to the evening of April 22nd, 2006. Jeremy and some friends were drinking heavily and watching the movie Natural Born Killers. If you aren't familiar, the film is about a couple that go on a violent killing spree. As part of it, the boyfriend felt he had to kill his girlfriend's parents so she could be free to be with him. The movie is wicked. It came out in 1994, which is the year Tanya Harding attacked Nancy Kerrigan, the year Kurt Cobain died, and the year Nelson Mandela became the first black president of South Africa. Now, I may have no problem with everything true crime on TV or podcasts, but horror movies are definitely not my jam. And Natural Born Killers was, I got through all of it, but man, it was harsh. It was nominated for Golden Globe Awards. It was directed by Oliver Stone and, of course, had a star-studded lineup. The serial killing couple was so glorified, and I could see a deranged mind wanting to replicate this horror movie. And while Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis did a fantastic job acting, Woody Harrelson had said it set back his career, which... By the way, Woody Harrelson's dad was a for real hitman. We'll definitely cover him soon. But anyway, just don't watch Natural Born Killers. Just don't. Hard no for me. So in the middle of the night on April 23rd, Jeremy drove over to the Richardson house. He broke into the basement, apparently making enough noise to wake Deborah. Now remember, he was pretty drunk, so he couldn't have snuck in even if he wanted to. Deborah went to the basement to investigate the noise, and that's where Jeremy, dressed in all black with a ski mask over his face, attacked her with a butcher's knife he brought with him. Hearing his wife's screams, Mark grabbed a screwdriver and ran to the basement. Before long, though, Jeremy overpowered Mark, stabbing him repeatedly. As Mark lay there dying, he asked just one question. Why? Chillingly, Jeremy said, quote, it's what your daughter wanted, unquote. Shit, that's awful. Yeah. Leaving the bloody scene behind him, Jeremy ascended the stairs to the main floor of the house. Meanwhile, little Tyler had been woken up from the commotion. Jeremy found Jasmine and Tyler in Tyler's room, with Tyler cowering in fear and saying he was too young to die. Jasmine told Jeremy Tyler had to die because he was too sensitive to live without their parents, so it would be cruel to leave him alive. She took the knife from Jeremy and killed Tyler herself in his own bed. This is insane that she did it, too. Total sociopath. Just two hours later, the pair were spotted laughing and kissing in a restaurant. They then went to a party. One of Jeremy's friends, Casey Lancaster, drove them almost 100 miles away to Leader, Saskatchewan, where they were ultimately discovered on April 24th. Apparently, the two had recounted the grisly details of the murders at this party, 
which witnesses would later testify to in court. We've seen this immaturity so many times, just telling on yourselves like you are hot shit and people are going to think that you're cool. Once they were arrested, the police allowed the two to write letters to each other, presumably to collect further evidence. In one letter, Jeremy proposed to Jasmine, which she accepted. Later, though, she broke up with him, probably on the advice of her lawyer, and she attempted to blame the entire murder plot on Jeremy. Here's where it gets a little tricky, in my opinion. Jasmine was just 12, and as the adult here, Jeremy clearly didn't have to do anything she asked of him, including murdering her family. But this show is called Enmeshed, and that's exactly what was going on here. The two were so intertwined and enamored with the idea of being together against the odds that they manufactured their adversaries. During her hearing, the defense said that Jasmine suffered from dependency issues and that she was prone to immature and disturbed fantasies. Is it possible Jasmine manipulated Jeremy? Sure, but in conversations with friends, he was also known to romanticize murder. If not the Richardsons, it may have been someone else. And of course, each defense team has to say he was the mastermind, no, she was the mastermind, in an attempt to best represent their clients and deflect absolute blame. Right. Jasmine happened to be the youngest possible age that a person can be charged with a crime in Canada. In addition, since she was under 14 at the time of the crime, she couldn't be charged as an adult. In July of 2007, Jasmine was found guilty on three counts of first-degree murder. As a minor, she was sentenced to a maximum of 10 years with credit for time served, making her the youngest person in Canada to ever be convicted of multiple murders. And to my knowledge, she still holds the title. Jeremy was tried in November of 2008 and found guilty by a jury on three counts of first-degree murder. The next month, he was sentenced to three life sentences to be served concurrently. He's eligible for parole in about 10 years. While I'm not familiar with the Canadian penal sentiment, I doubt he'll be paroled. The crime scene was incredibly gruesome, with blood covering much of the basement and Tyler's bed, and he has no remorse. After serving the maximum time she could be sentenced to, Jasmine was released in May of 2016. As part of her sentencing, she'd spent four years in a psychiatric facility before being allowed to serve time under conditional supervision in the community. In September 2011, she became a freshman at Mount Royal University in Calgary. At that time, it was reported that her rehabilitation was going well. She reportedly expressed remorse for her actions and has made great strides in her education and behavior. Court of Queen's Bench Justice Scott Brooker said to her, quote, You've indicated through your conduct, you have a desire to atone for what you did, adding, clearly, you cannot undo the past, you can only live each day with the knowledge that you can control how you behave, unquote. Since her release in 2016, Jasmine Richardson's whereabouts have been unknown. When he was asked why he killed Deborah and Mark Richardson, Jeremy responded, quote, When you find your soulmate, you do anything for them. Unquote. 
Jeremy Steinke's mental health may have been affected by moving around a lot as a child, and he had been through several physically abusive stepfathers, so while he didn't have it easy, still no excuse. Though this was never confirmed, it was suspected that Jeremy was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. It can cause a range of developmental, cognitive, and behavioral problems, which can appear at any time during childhood and last a lifetime. The most profound effects of prenatal alcohol exposure are brain damage and the resulting impairments in behavioral and cognitive functioning. Its characteristics include difficulty communicating, understanding language, and decoding meaning. Also poor social skills, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. And there are various distinctive physical features as well. Right. I think you hit the nail on the head with impulsivity. Yes, absolutely. How sad and scary. I mean, she's only about 30 and she's free to roam the world right now. Yeah, and we don't know her whereabouts. We don't know if she has a family. It's just scary. Right, it is scary. If you're in the United States and you believe your child is the victim of online sexual exploitation or grooming, the FBI can help. We'll link the cyber tip line in our show notes and on our website, or you can call 1-800-843-5678. And that's a wrap for season two. That's right. And thank you, Meshers, so much for listening. We are going to take a few months off and spend time with our family and do a little bit of traveling, but we do have a few bonus episodes up our sleeve and a few guests. So stick around. We will have a few episodes dropping this summer. And otherwise, we'll see you in August. And remember, some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Thank you for listening. All of our sources are in today's show notes, as well as those important resources. You can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on Instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on Facebook and let us know what you think. You can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production.